Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, December 9th. We begin with reaction to the COVID-19 restrictions put in place by the province on Tuesday. We speak with Ward 3 Councillor Jyoti Gondek on the impact the changes will have on Calgarians. And we also get an update on the ongoing conversations surrounding the Green Line LRT project. Next, we look at a coronavirus vaccine rollout in our nation. Are there any consequences for those individuals who refuse to take part in the vaccination? We get the thoughts of Lenora Saxinger, infectious disease specialist with the University of Alberta. Seasonal affective disorder is real, and the impact of SAD may be even stronger this year amidst the pandemic. We get some tips for beating seasonal depression in your work environment. And finally, temperatures may be getting cooler, but the real estate market is hot right now. We speak with realtor Justin Haver for some tips on how to take advantage of the surprisingly strong market if you're ready to make a move. 710 now in Alberta, moving into its most restrictive lockdown since the pandemic began in March. Ward 3 Councillor Jyoti Gondek joins us now with more on Calgary's reaction. Good morning, Jyoti. Good morning, Sue and Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been you know, quite outspoken that uh, we needed some tougher restrictions. The mayor saying earlier this week, if the premier didn't do it, the city would. So do you think this will satisfy uh, council and those who are in charge and, and hoping for some tighter restrictions? I mean, I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised that the restrictions announced yesterday um, went as far as they did. It is never in the interest of a jurisdiction who actually does not have the ability to set such restrictions to have to find ways to do it. So I am pleased that the province did what they needed to do. And Councillor, where do you see the greatest impact for Calgarians with this second round? We were talking earlier, they're not much different than in March, but there are some key differences. What, what do you think the biggest will be that will impact us? Well, I, I mean, I think some of the things are going to be a little bit difficult. Um, the most surprising to me being the mall restrictions, that you can only have 15% capacity and, you know, please don't go unless you're going to buy something. Don't go there just to hang out. I don't know how anybody's going to enforce that, so that's a little bit problematic. I would say that um, closing the hospitality industry is probably one of the hardest things to take, but perhaps one of the best for um, impact and probably also one of the most um, life-saving measures for the staff that work there. So this is not anything that any of us wanted. Um, Frankly, no one wanted the pandemic. But when the situation gets as bad as it is, where cases are rising every day, certain steps needed to be taken. And this is where we are now. You know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? I wouldn't want to be the person having to make the decisions for sure. But as a mom, I know you're a mom too. I look at the schools and still keeping the young kids. I understand it from the, you know, the parents are still able then to go to work, but the kids up to grade six still in school. Is this not kind of defeating the purpose? You know, the biggest problem we have is without contact tracing and some solid data on where the spread is coming from, It's hard to say. I mean, we heard a lot in yesterday's speeches about we know the traces, we know the cases are coming from social gatherings. Do we know that? Because I have not seen the stats on that. So um, if you have to decide between keeping parents employed and keeping kids out of school, that's a tough call. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't envy what the provincial government had to do yesterday, but I do appreciate that they did it. I just... I would have appreciated a tone of compassion and humility and respect for Albertans, but, you know, you can't get everything you're looking for. 
Jyoti, uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm happy because, you know, business can still do business, albeit restricted. Businesses have a way and they can maybe expand, you know, their sales for curbside pickup and delivery and as well, 15% capacity. We're going to have to be waiting in line. For me, the one thing that stood out was hearing the provincial stance on how important it is right now to make a change in how we, we have to do this. But then we're going to give four full business days before it's implemented. What did you think of the start being on Sunday instead of perhaps Thursday or Friday of this week? Well, I think this was the best compromise this government could come up with. I think they wanted to send a signal that, you know, places are open for business, as they love to say. But I'm a bit concerned that some Calgarians are going to take this to mean let's hammer the malls and the shops right now and get all of our shopping done in four days. Mm -hmm. I truly hope that people don't do that and that they consider picking up anything urgent that they were putting off. Uh, but not making this about a, a four-day shopping vacation. I really hope people understand the dire nature of where we are and, you know, the, the concerns that are being raised by having to put in such severe measures. One of the things that makes me so sad about all of this is just how divided this province has become over this issue. And just to kind of switch gears a little bit, another thing that's been very divisive is the Green Line. Um, and you're the vice chair of the Green Line Committee. And, and once again, that has reared its ugly head. And, and we're talking about that being potentially put off as well. Yeah, you know, um, Councillor Keating and I had a good conversation before Organization Day. And given that this is his last year on council, I wanted to give him the respect of chairing this committee. And he's done a wonderful job of stewarding this process. And he's very frustrated with not being able to get answers from the provincial government. I mean, you can't put out a statement that says you hired a consultant um, who came back and said there's concerns with the project and then not put in writing what those concerns are. I mean, I legitimately think we need to be a partner that understands what their concerns are. Councillor, you know, we, we, we put it to the mayor months ago. I mean, we've been talking about the Green Line for years, but <laughs> months ago we said, you know, why not have a plebiscite? And I believe, uh, I don't want to quote the mayor, it was something uh, along the lines of if we, you know, every time we had to make a decision, had a plebiscite that would be ineffective and it would be expensive. But now we're hearing perhaps this might go to a plebiscite. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm concerned that this might be one of those things that's get that's getting pushed to the plebiscite. I truly hope not. I mean, if you think about the fact that we could create 20,000 jobs and kick off $4.5 billion in economic stimulus in a city that so desperately needs it, um, we have to do that. And, you know, I hope the government talks to the businesses like Quadriel and Brookfield and Harvard that have the ability to do some great transit-oriented development in this city. I hope they talk to people like the Stampede Board and CMLC and Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, all organizations that took big risks on development rooted on the green line. Like, if you don't want to listen to the ridership and the people who will actually take transit, listen to the businesses. So I hope we get to a point very quickly that allows us to keep going with the RFP and get shovels in the ground in the summer because you cannot compete as a city on a global stage without a solid transportation network that includes good public transit. I know we will get texts saying we simply can't afford it as a city of Calgary in the time that we're in. Your thoughts on that? We built a very careful plan of how we would make this project happen. We did the due diligence on it and we have partnerships with two other orders of government. These are all things that are hard to achieve quickly in this recession and we will come out of this pandemic. That will not be the time to start a major project. Now is the time when people need jobs. Now is the time when we have the ability to do construction when there's less people on the road. So let's get started.
Thank you so much uh, for your thoughts and your time this morning, Jyoti. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. You as well. That is Jyoti Gondak, Ward 3 Counselor and Vice Chair of the Green Line Committee. Should a COVID-19 vaccine be mandatory for all Albertans? And what about consequences for those who would choose not to take a vaccine? We hear this morning from Lenora Saxinger, who is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine and Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alberta. Good morning, Lenora. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Uh, Let's talk about this. So is there a way that we can proceed? So vaccines, our province has said, absolutely will not be a mandatory thing. So uh, on that assumption, what about people who don't want to get a vaccine? Should there be protocols that affect them separately then? Well, I mean, I, I guess we're kind of starting in the middle, which is one thing is that I think a lot of people's hesitancy really is rooted in concern that this seemed to happen really fast compared to other vaccines. And so if we're able to, you know, make sure that we have complete clarity and good communication around why this vaccine came about so quickly and why that is actually a reasonable and good and effective thing to take, I think a lot of the problem will go away. But then I I expect there probably will be um, a proportion of people who will remain very steadfastly against that vaccine or any vaccines. And and that's a challenging group like in any vaccine campaign. But, But there are some principles that might be helpful And the other thing that we don't know yet is how many people are really needed to take it to prevent ongoing outbreaks in our communities. Mm -hmm. And so so there's a couple of pieces of information that we need to fill in as well. So if you can give us an example, that was going to be my next question, Dr. uh, Saxinger. As far as, you know, for example, the flu, they talk about a certain percentage that will make it effective to to ward off a a flu, for example. Do we have any idea what kind of a range that might be as far as, uh, you know, uh, having uh, people that take part in the uh, COVID vaccine at this point? Well, I mean, the the principle is that it depends on how highly infectious something is as to how many people you need to vaccinate to, to prevent spread when there's a little cluster of susceptible people. And so, you know, that's the herd immunity threshold, which usually is something that we talk about with vaccines. And it's been estimated to be kind of in the 60 to 90 percent range um, for this virus. Those estimates will become, that's a big range, those estimates will become a lot more precise um, as, as we learn more and see different vaccinated communities. But again, the other definition is community. So if you live in a, in a town or a region where barely anyone gets vaccinated, obviously your risk is going to be a lot higher. But if you average it out across a whole province, um, you know, the number of people who don't get vaccine might not be that big a deal. So there's a patchiness to it as well. But if we kind of look at the 50 to 60 percent range or, you know, maybe 60 to 70 percent range to be safe, um, that, that still allows a fair amount of leeway. And, and what we'd expect is that if you get the high risk people first and the people with a lot of community mobility who are capable of transmitting infection to others early on, um, you know, first people who are at high risk of infection and death, People who are at high risk by virtue of their jobs, and then and then trying to. Oh, I think that actually are more likely to transmit infection. You could actually see benefits fairly early in vaccine rollout. The problem would be you would still get little, I guess, flurries of infection in susceptible populations. Uh, how about the discussion that's happening in Ontario right now? You know, okay, you don't have to get the vaccine, but if you don't get the shot, you could face restrictions. Is that something that we could see here in Alberta? Could it be something that is rolled out federally? Well, I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to step to next. I mean, the other things you can do is try to encourage vaccine use, the positive incentive. And some vaccine programs, for example, give parents like a monetary bonus for vaccinating their kids. But in terms of things that make sense, 
if you are not immune um, in your community, then yeah, you actually do pose some uh, health risk to others. And if you've chosen not to take a vaccine, I think it is actually within realm to say, well, how can we reduce the risk um, and acknowledge your choice here? And the example would be in healthcare settings, if someone does not want to get an influenza vaccine in a lot of places, and they're a healthcare worker, when we know that influenza vaccination actually reduces the mortality of the people in, in long-term care, if the staff get vaccinated, so it's a pretty good argument. If they choose not to, then they're asked to wear a mask all the time. So I think there's a precedent there that would make sense as well. Not only is it a case that we're still waiting for enough doses for the entire nation, but we have to take from what we're hearing the staggered dose, uh, the first one, then the other one, something like 21 days after. So I, I would think that uh, it has to be underscored that uh, mask wearing and social distancing and the protocols aren't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Is that right? That's right. And I mean, the nice thing is that although we'll continue to probably encourage people to to live the way that we're, we've been living in terms of the masking and the social distancing and the hand washing, really through an entire vaccination campaign, over that time, we'll be seeing progressively less I guess, risk progressively less disease in the communities, progressively fewer deaths. And I think it'll be a lot more easy to tolerate on the way out than it was on the way in. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the discussion. Appreciate your time this morning. No problem. Thank you. That is Lenora Saxinger, who is the Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine and Division of Infectious Disease at the University of Alberta. 6.42 on the morning news. And as the pandemic rages on, Canadians' mental health is already on top of mind for many employers. Now with the change in weather, people may also be suffering from seasonal affective disorder. We're joined now by Hope McManus, Head of Health and Safety at the Peninsula Group, with tips to help workers with SAD. Good morning to you, Hope. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, To begin with, what is the official definition of seasonal affective disorder? So seasonal affective disorder, it's a depression due to when there are seasonal changes and changes in the amount of sunlight, most commonly starting through fall and continuing throughout the winter months. So we see this starting to occur during August, September, October, November, all the way to February. So we see it here in Canada, obviously, and the winter is here. We've had some nice weather here in, uh, in Calgary and Alberta, uh, you know, of late, but that changes for sure. So are the things we can do in the workplace as well as now in our home offices that can help with this hope? Well, absolutely. It's a great point that you brought up. So as we know, we have some staff in some parts of the um, in some parts of Canada that are going into offices, but a lot of them are remote. So if you do have staff that are working in the office, we want to consider a few different types um, of alternatives that we can provide them. So looking at how we're providing break times to them and seeing that we can provide break times when there's a little bit more time that they could go outside, take a brisk walk, uh, get some more natural daylight in is very helpful. And of course, social distancing while we're doing that. And in addition to that, Look at your seating plan. So if there's a way that you can incorporate more natural light into the seating plan for um, especially those are be- that are being affected with uh, seasonal affective disorder, that can be very helpful. Now, when we're talking about supporting remote workers, we want to make sure that we are encouraging and not forgetting about them and encouraging them to take it, uh, take some time to go take walks outside to get some fresh air. Um, that's what we need employers to really start encouraging right now as well. And we are seeing some employers start to gift um, the artificial light, uh, the therapy lamp lights Mm -hmm. uh, this Christmas and last Christmas. So that could be a really good idea for employers to um, start to think about providing to their staff. 
Hope, how about the detection of SAD? Uh, you know, personally, how do I know that I might be suffering from SAD? And as an employer, uh, what can you see in your employees, you know, uh, a few desks away or as you're walking through the hallways to indicate that they might be suffering? That's a great question. And we have that come through with a lot of our clients that are calling at Peninsula Canada. So you want to look out for key changes with yourself and your staff. So on both ends, you'll notice the employer may notice there's changes in work habits and you yourself may notice that you're not as motivated. In addition to that, you want to look at the increase in absenteeism. So are they calling in sick more? And on the other end of that, are you feeling more intense feelings of fear and anxiety? We know that during COVID alone, um, there's an 88% increase uh, from Statistics Canada that they're feeling anxious and nervous um, and on edge. In addition to that, you'll notice that they'll have changes in demeanor and you you yourself may notice that you are a little bit more irritable and you may notice that you're having mood things, withdrawing from others. Uh, There may be changes in personal hygiene and physical habits. So it's really key as an employer to take the time to, you know, have a check-in with your staff member. So whether it's in person when you're in the office or whether you're at home, those are times that you don't always want to cut to the chase with your staff. You want to check in, see what they're doing, see what they're doing for self-care. And typically we can help um, identify those sooner rather than later before it's too late. Great tips and reminders. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope, appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. You too. That is Hope McManus, Head of Health and Safety at the Peninsula Peninsula Group. It is PeninsulaGroupLimited.com. 620 now, and as we get ready to ring in the new year, the housing market is hot, shows no sign of slowing down. Low inventory, low mortgage rates, high demand, all helping to create a fierce market. To discuss, we're joined this morning by Justin Haver of Justin Haver & Associates Remax First. Hi, Justin. Good morning, Sue and Andrew. How are you guys this morning? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I think it's probably surprising to a lot of people, unless they're in the market right now, specifically, that the housing market is really booming, isn't it? You know what? Uh, it's uh, been a very, very active market uh, after the uh, the first shutdown. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the trend continues, uh, that's for sure. Justin, I'm sure a lot of people might want to be putting their house on sale, or, or maybe they have to, but they're thinking, you know, I'm going to wait till after the holiday season. Uh, what kind of an environment is it? What kind of an atmosphere is there in the market if you have to put your house on for sale at this time? You know, there's definitely uh, something to be said about, uh, you know, for sellers to take advantage of the activity that we're seeing in the marketplace right now, specifically in the single-family uh, sector, right? So if they are in the need of selling, I mean, People are going to find their home if it's not listed uh, for sale. So I would definitely uh, suggest that, uh, you know, if they have the ability to get their house on the market now, do so and take advantage of uh, the momentum that we have in the marketplace. Justin, let's talk about how safe it is right now. I know you particularly, I'm sure a lot of the realtors these days are doing things to, to try and keep it safe for both buyers and sellers. How does that look? You know, we are very diligent on ensuring that uh, both the sellers and buyers are kept safe. So for every showing that we do, we basically have both the buyers and the sellers acknowledge that uh, all parties are safe and healthy. It's also recommended that we limit the number of people that attend showings to limit the potential exposure. Obviously, no touching of uh, anything inside the homes. Everyone wears masks. And, uh, you know, We do have the ability to help people move in a safe manner. And uh, obviously, we focus on utilizing a lot of the technologies that are available. 
you know, such as uh, 3D virtual tours, which uh, basically allows buyers to virtually view the inside of the homes from the comfort and safety of their homes. And uh, we also utilize a lot of video, Zoom calls, um, you know, even FaceTime virtual showing tours as well. It all really depends on the comfort level of uh, the uh, clients. One quick question for you. We're just about to wrap up here, Justin, but I think a lot of people have some online savvy. What do you say to those people who say, you know, I'm going to go it alone and sell my home online myself? Uh, The benefit of having a realtor, is it even underscored more during this time? You know, it's always uh, good to uh, have a professional, someone that uh, navigates through transactions, uh, sometimes on a daily basis, or that's what they do for a living, right? Because there are a lot of uh, curveballs that we can come across during a transaction. And it's also important for um, for sellers to know that it takes quite a bit to ensure that you have the right marketing approach to get the right exposure to get top dollar in the current market. Great points. Thank you for joining us. We'll send people to your website, justinhaver.com. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. That is Justin Haver, Realtor with Justin Haver and Associates, REMAX First.